0: I'm Olivia. And I'm Emily. Welcome to Backstage with PYB. That's Pennsylvania Youth Ballet, a dance studio located in Bethlehem, PA. We are so
1: glad you joined us for our interview today. We'll see you backstage. Hi, everyone. Welcome back.
0: In this episode, we are excited to share with you our interview with Amy Brandt. We discuss her dance education, professional dance career, and her writing and journalism career.
1: Hi Amy, welcome to Backstage with PYB. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking to you both.
1: Why don't we
0: start with your early dance training? So at what age did you begin dancing and where did you study?
2: So I started when I was five years old. It was actually, um, I had asked my mom for ballet lessons for my birthday. Um, and so that was one of my, it was my birthday present was that I was going to get to start. With. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I must've started that summer or something cause my birthday is in April, but uh, I started at a studio in my hometown, which was a suburb of Chicago called Libertyville, Illinois.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: there was a studio there called dance center North. Um, and I, you know, just started with classes there and continued there really all throughout high school. So I, you know, a lot of a lot of young dancers kind of go away to train and and go to you know bigger schools. I actually stayed fairly local for my entire training.
1: So what what made you be interested in ballet? Had you been to a performance? Had you do you have did you have friends at that age? You know that were taking dance classes.
2: How no. did you decide
1: to te- even ask for it?
2: Um, it was seeing ballet on TV. Um, I <laughs> believe I saw The the Nutcracker with Mikhail Baryshnikov and Gelsie Kirkland. Um, I also was a very avid Sesame Street watcher. And Suzanne Farrell actually had a, several segments on, on Sesame Street. So I became like obsessed with Suzanne Farrell from a very young age. Um And so that made me want to become a ballerina. I just kind of, it just looked like a really beautiful world on stage. I loved performing. Um, I loved singing and dancing and, and, and everything. I I didn't have an early, um, I didn't just, maybe this will come later, but I didn't know at that age that I wanted to become a ballerina when I grew up. That wasn't really my goal really fun. And And, um, another opportunity, another way to get on stage, which was sort of my ultimate goal, just to get on stage somehow. So (laughs) that's
0: so cool. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it's so cool how you like first saw Suzanne Farrell on Sesame Street, and then you later got to dance with her company. That's just like full circle.
2: It is kind of weird. And I don't know if Suzanne, I don't know if I ever told her that. (laughs) I don't know if I ever had the opportunity to share that with her, but it is kind of interesting. And I remember um, my, you know, she used to dance with, there used to be a company in Chicago called Chicago City Ballet. And she used to be like a guest principal there. And they were doing a production of Cinderella. I mean, this was in the 80s. And, you know, my parents said, we've got tickets for you to see Suzanne Farrell and Cinderella. Um, I must have been seven or eight, maybe, maybe younger. And we drove down to the city and we were sitting in the theater, getting ready to watch the performance. An announcement came on that said that Suzanne Farrell was not performing tonight. (laughs) So I missed my chance Um, to see her then. And I remember being really upset. Um, Although the woman who performed in her place was, was stunning. But um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting that, you know, I had to wait my turn. I had to wait my uh, until I was in my 20s to um, reconnect with her, I guess. So.
1: So how did you decide to pursue a career in dance? Did you have some teachers that influenced you or encouraged you in that direction?
2: I did. I um, gently, you know, uh, but, you know, for most of my childhood, I wanted to be um, a million different things. I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to be an artist. I actually um, really loved drawing and painting and I, and I saw a career in like visual arts for myself. Um, and that was sort of like my big talent in, in grade school was drawing. And when I was about 10 or 11, and ballet was fine but it was really disciplined and structured. Um, my studio was pretty serious you know, we didn't have a big show at the end of the year, which, you know, we had what was called a day filet, which each class came out in the leotard and tights. And our costume was like a small bow in our hair of various, <laughs> each class had a yeah. special color. And mm-hmm. the teacher would call our name, we would do ballet runs forward, step curtsy, ballet runs to the teacher, she'd give you a certificate and a rose. And that was it. That was our big end of year recital. So it was kind of disappointing (laughs) for (laughs) me who just wanted nothing else to just get on stage and dance around. But once I got to be about 10 or 11, something kind of intellectually or physically clicked. And I started to understand ballet a lot more physically. And I started to enjoy the challenge and I started to get positive feedback from teachers and then also point shoes. Mm-hmm. I remember getting the um, placement. We did our annual placement class in the fall and getting our card that had all our, our levels on it. And it's a pre-point. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I forgot. Point shoes. <laughs> so that kind of added like more excitement to ballet. And it just kind of grew. And when I became, I would say about 14 or 15, I really, um, really, really started to get into it and started to read dance magazine. And just, you know, I kind of left art behind and started to focus more on dance. And um, I would say maybe when I was like 15, I decided like, maybe I can just pursue this more um, seriously and started to go to summer programs. And that's kind of where I was able to see where I fit in Mm -hmm. with the rest of like my peers in the dance world and kind of realize that like okay this is going to be a lot of work like a ton of work Mm -hmm. but it might be possible to do this as my career and oh my gosh wouldn't that just be the most amazing thing to to be a, a ballet dancer for for my career um so it was i was probably 15 or about 15 or 14 when i started to think about it. And then in earnest, when I was like 16 and 17, you know, that was all I wanted to do. And I completely focused on it and really ramped up my training and, and, um, and all of that.
1: Where did you go for summer programs?
2: So I actually, I went to the Milwaukee Ballet School. Okay. So I went there actually for three summers in a row. And Sometimes I wonder if I, maybe I should have branched out and tried some other schools. Um, Milwaukee was only an hour away from my home. However, I knew I was, you know, I knew that I was training at a local school, you know, that I, that, you know, I was reading my dance magazine, reading about all these other kids my age who were studying in New York City and San Francisco and, you know, in Europe and winning these huge prizes and things like that. And I knew I wasn't quite, I, did, I wasn't quite there, but Milwaukee um, was, was an excellent company. They, um, and they liked me, the, the, the teachers there, um, I was developing kind of familiarity with them. So my first summer I went there. And then my second summer, when I went back, I remember at the audition for the summer program, the school director approached me and said, would you ever be interested in being a trainee Mm. here? And that was like, what, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and so I did get into other schools and I did consider going away to other schools, but I just kind of felt like I have a really strong possibility here of making my dream a reality. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of very practical why I went there so many summers in a row. And I liked it, you know, it was very close to home. Um, The teachers were great. And I had made really lovely friends who also returned each summer. It was kind of a school that a lot of kids would come back to. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's where I studied. I would also take the train into Chicago and um, take class with Larry Long, who was a very well-known and beloved teacher at the Ruth Page Foundation in Chicago. Um, so whenever I could, I would I would take the train into the city and take uh, his open class, and which was just so much fun. And I learned so much from him. And uh, and then at the end of the summer, we would always go to the school like convention in Chicago called the Chicago National Association of Dance Masters. That was like a long weekend workshop with all these guest teachers and a performance at the end. It was just like a mini ballet camp. So that was, um, that was my summer experience every year.
1: So now you did end up staying on with Milwaukee ba- Ballet, correct? I did,
2: yeah, after I graduated from high school. Um, I, uh, you know, I went there that summer um, and was just sort of laser focused on um, a traineeship because they, you know, the summer program served, and I think it still does, as an audition for their training program. So it was six very anxious weeks um, (laughs) of, you know, hoping and hoping and hoping and really trying to, like, perform your best and hoping that they, you know, would ask me to stay. And they did, thank goodness. So um, that was just uh, the greatest. So that's how that's how I started there.
1: Yeah, no, it sounds like a really positive experience. Um, Just you found a great place and, you know, like got a lot out of it, sticking with it. So
2: yeah, I think and my teacher growing up kind of, encouraged me you know I remember getting a letter I had auditioned for the School of American Ballet and I'd gotten in um for their summer program and I'd gotten into you know Boston Ballet School and Milwaukee Ballet School and a few other places and you know my teacher sat down with me and we were looking at all the um the letters back then—you'd get a letter in the mail, and um, you know, big fat package if it was good news, a big thin, oh. you know, real thin letter if it wasn't. Yeah. And you know, she said, "Look at look at your options here." And she's like, "You know, Milwaukee Ballet—they've spoken to you. They they're offering you full scholarship. Um, it would be awesome to go to the School of American Ballet, but they don't know you." And like, at the end of the summer, you want to ju- like, it was mm-hmm. being a trainee is not a job, it's, it's a stepping stone. But she's like, you know, at the end of the summer, you want to be somewhere and I, you know, where do you think you're going to have the best chance? And I said, well, I'm, you know, Milwaukee, obviously it would be great to go to New York City, but for my future, I think I need to invest here. So that's why I chose that.
1: So how long did you stay at Milwaukee Ballet?
2: I was there um, for eight years. So, I was a trainee for two and a half years and then joined the company. Um, and, you know, for the rest, the remainder of my time okay. there. So, so, I danced tell- um, in that short time, I danced under three different directors.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about where you went after Milwaukee.
2: After Milwaukee, I. I um, was in a bit of a state of limbo. So here's an here's a was a very tough time in my career. Um, like I said, I, I, I we had a lot of there was a lot of turnover with directors, and often what happens when directors come through is they kind of clean house. They decide which yeah, dancers yeah. they want to keep and which dancers they want to let go. And so the the last director I worked with very briefly in Milwaukee, um, you know called me into his office and said, I'm sorry, I just don't um, have a place for you here. So i lost my contract for the, you know, I wasn't, be, I wasn't asked to stay for the following season. And so what happens in a ballet company when you, you usually learn that you're not coming back in February or March, but your contract is through, you know, May or June. So you have to stay and go to work every day knowing that you're not really wanted there that um, the director doesn't believe in you. It's very hard on your psyche. It's very hard emotionally. It's very hard on your motivation. And then at the, then you have to like scramble and try to find a job and fly to these auditions all over the country and spend a lot of money trying to find a new job. And so I had learned that I wasn't coming back a little bit late in the game. It was like late March or something. And a lot of auditions had passed. So um, Maybe it was mid-March. I don't know, it was a little bit later in the game and I wasn't prepared, I wasn't expecting it. So I um, You know, tried to attend as many auditions as I could, but I just didn't have any luck. And so at the end of the season, I was left without a place to go. And so I moved back in with my mom and dad and had one last audition at the Kennedy Center in Washington at, 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 at like the end of the summer. For the Suzanne Farrell Ballet, which was a really interesting company because they were more of a project of the Kennedy Center, they uh, weren't full—they t- weren't a full-time company. So, but they did amazing work. They toured, which I really wanted to do, and it was Suzanne Farrell. I mean, this was you know the reason why I became a dancer. So, um, so I put my whole heart and soul that summer into. You know, taking the train to Chicago, taking class with Larry Long, who I mentioned, um, and and some other really great teachers in Chicago, and just trying to get rid of all that bad energy from losing my job and refocusing on the future, and um, went down to Washington and, and auditioned and um, for Suzanne, and, you know, got the position. So so I, I danced with her for that fall, and then we kind of broke for a while and I needed to figure out what else I was going to do. Am I going to move back home with my family? So I decided to just kind of take the plunge and I moved to New York city and I was like, I'll just freelance, which is easier said than done. <laughs> um, so I moved to New York and started getting sort of small dance jobs with, you know, working one-on-one with a choreographer here, doing another gig there, and then kind of, scheduling everything around Suzanne's seasons Mm -hmm. and I did that for the next 10 years so um so for like the next 10 years I split my time between Washington DC and New York City so it was very uh unstable way of (laughs) of doing things I don't know if I would recommend it for everybody at all but um it's just what I chose to do so
1: yeah well it it worked right (laughs) Can you Um, talk
0: a little bit about how, like, being rejected at, not really rejected, but let go at Milwaukee, like, affected your mental health and mental state, and how did you come back from that? And, like, clearly, it was not the end for you. Like, you have such a successful career.
2: Yeah, well, it definitely was a rejection. I mean, I was full-on told that you know, I was not a very good dancer, you know. I mean, in, so, you know, in certain terms, I mean, I was he, the director didn't like my dancing, it was very clear. And, um, uh, you know, and it, that's hard to hear. That's hard to hear. And I it hadn't been my experience with the other two directors I'd worked for. I'd really thrived under their leadership. And so, uh, but for whatever reason, you know, he just didn't feel I was a strong classical dancer and that he said, your career here, you'll just be in the back of the core so that you need to be doing, you need to go somewhere else. Wow. Yeah, and it's, and that's kind of normal. I mean, that's what a lot of dancers hear.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then on top of that, you're going, so you're rejected where you are, where you work, <laughs> and then you're going to auditions and auditioning is just nonstop rejection. Not so much, you know, summer programs, it's a little different, but once you go into the professional realm, you know, these companies may have one, two contracts open. They're looking for something very specific. They're usually looking for someone who's 18, not 27. So it's, you have to deal with that rejection too. Cause so like every weekend you're, you're, you're. So what I had to do and what I think is very helpful is that you have to kind of get some control back. So when I would go to these auditions, I'd be like, I'm auditioning them too. You know, I have some choice here, kind of, you know, (laughs) you know, I don't have as much uh, power or sway in this situation at all. It's very uneven. But I can go in, I can go to a company, I can see their studios, I can see the dancers, I can meet the director, and I can also assess whether I want to work here. And a lot of times I'd say, I don't really want to work here. So Mm -hmm. if I don't get the job, maybe it won't be so, so bad. You know, like I had to kind of really change my mindset to give myself a little more control. And and there were definitely situations where I fly into a city and I'd be like, I just don't feel, I don't feel it here. I'm not, I don't say, see myself here. Um, you know, not just the, not just the ballet company, but, but the city and, and the, you know, where, where do I see myself moving here and starting a life here? Not really. Um, and then I, Maybe that I remember in one company, I just felt like the atmosphere was very casual, and I liked. I wanted to be pushed really hard. You know, I felt like I needed that at that stage in my career, and I and I felt like it was very relaxed, and like the dancers could kind of just do whatever, and which was great. They had a lot of autonomy, and that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that, but it wasn't what I wanted at the time. And I'm like, I just feel like I would get really complacent and lazy if I worked here, even though the director was lovely and and. He didn't have a job for me anyway, so it was fine. But, you know, I kind of had to remember that I had some choice, too. And so that really helped. And when I did go to Washington, I felt different. I knew. It was just a feeling. I I went, you know, I walked into the Kennedy Center, which is a very impressive place if you've ever been. Um, You know, but I just remember taking class and talking to the company manager and meeting Suzanne and just feeling like, okay, I think this is where I'm supposed to be. It was an instinct thing. It it was, Mm -hmm. you know, so I guess that would just be my advice is, you know, when you are dealing with that kind of rejection that you, you have to kind of um, try to find ways to get a little more control on your end and not just say, Oh, it's all up to everybody else, because you do have some say you have the ability to say, no, I don't want to work here either. So, um, so that's kind of how I dealt with it. And also, you know, I, I guess I could have just taken what the director had said and believed it. And I'm sure there were elements of what he said. I know there are elements of what he had told me that were true and, um, and everything, but, uh, you know, I also kind of had to think for myself. And I remember going up, we had a video room at the, the ballet and, you know, I was trying to put together an audition reel and watching some stuff that I had done. I'm like, I don't look bad. Like, I don't, you know, like I, I was like, I don't he says. Like, and I had good friends and I had other mentors and other directors who backed me up and wrote, you know, I mean, it just, um, you can't put like so much weight when, when someone doesn't believe in you, you have to like, try to not give that person so much power.
1: Right. You know? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's one person. You can't put right. so much weight into one person's criticism.
2: Exactly. Yeah, so you
1: take it. I, I think this has to be just so difficult because it has to feel so personal mm-hmm. and, and just so difficult to regain your self-confidence and I was just thinking, listening to you talk, I was thinking um, what what an amazing thing actually your teacher gave you earlier discussing with you about your summer intensives. You know, like really, really she put that out to you as like you have the choice. You don't have to take this place simply because of their name or... Mm -hmm. You know, like really, like you have, you have choice here and you need to look at where you feel comfortable and where you feel you will excel and where, you know, so yeah. what an amazing experience, you know, that you had early on to be able to tap back into that, I suppose in some way, maybe even if it was subconscious, just to remember that, that you have choice and, and you're, you're planning what suits you and what, mm-hmm. what works well for you. So but that just has to be very hard because it just has to feel very personal.
2: Yeah, and and that teacher, I have to say, it was. I want to give her a shout out. Her name's Lisa Shepard. Uh, Lisa Shepard Shipman, and she was the first person I called when I learned that I'd lost my job because I'm like, I'm gonna. I could call my parents and they'll go, Oh my god, oh, you know, right. Or I could call Lisa and she'll just say, Okay, let's get to work. And that's exactly what happened. I called her, and she said, All right why don't you drive down here? We'll work on your resume. We'll start looking into places. I'll make some phone calls. You know, like she just was right. very calm and right. um, this isn't the end of the world. And then, you know, a couple hours later, I called my parents and dealt with all of that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I don't need that right now. I just need someone to like, tell me like, all right, let's moving on. And that's exactly what she did. She was, she was my most influential teacher.
1: That's fantastic to have really. Yeah. Um, so could you tell us a little bit then about how you ended up moving into writing? I know you worked for a couple of dance publications before Point Magazine. Of course, you're with Point Magazine now. Um, mm-hmm. But how, how how was that path going to college and starting to do writing?
2: Well, um, I started going back to school when I was still in Milwaukee. And... I didn't really know what I wanted to do after dance, but um, I knew I liked writing, I knew it was sort of my other skill. Um, and so I was in, I majored in English with just sort of like no plan and just focused on taking one class at a time, getting my general education requirements out of the way, taking the most generic class I could, you know, like psychology 101, philosophy 101 and then when I moved to New York I was about, at that point, I think I was, had almost taken enough classes to get through my sophomore year. Not quite, but I was a sophomore. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, I think I should resume this degree while I'm here, you know, and, and, and since I'm going to be here for a while. So I uh, went to Marymount Manhattan College, and they had, at the time, they had an arts administration minor. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's something. I'll, I'll major in English and I'll minor in arts administration and, and then I'll move into like the administrative side of dance. And so, um, but it came, became clear that that's a lot about fundraising and, and money mm. and things that I'm like really not interested in. So um, mm-hmm. I took a few of those classes and I was like, I think I'm going to switch my major my, or my minor. So I switched my minor to journalism. Um, because I had taken a freelance article writing class in, in, you know, at Marymount and, um, had gotten some encouragement in that regard. And so I switched my minor and then I had seen on the internet somewhere, like a posting for tur- an internship at dance magazine. Oh. And I thought, well, I could do that and get credit for school. And that would be kind of cool and just, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And at this point, I wasn't sure I wanted to be like a journalist. I was just, you know, I needed to declare something. So um, so I, I applied and eventually um, I did do an internship at Dance Magazine. And I was about 30 years old. And I remember them saying, you're, you're much older than our interns. Why do you want to do this? And I said, well, I got to start somewhere. Um, you know, I really want to learn the ropes. I don't just want to like... I need, I need to learn how to do this. So I did an internship at Dance Magazine while dancing, you know, trying to fit it all in. It was a little crazy. And then um, after my internship, they continued to keep in touch with me. They asked me to write a few things. Um, and I should also say that Dance Magazine and Point Magazine are owned by the same company. It's called Dance Media.
1: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so um so eventually my supervisor when she was supervising me as an intern she became the editor in chief of Point magazine. And she contacted me shortly afterwards and said, "You know, I would like to create an advice column at Point magazine and I think you would be great for it." And so and I I was kind of like, "What?" <laughs> really didn't understand why she was asking me to do this um I said you know I'm not really famous I'm in the court of ballet I you know I've my dance career is fine it's I'm it's successful mm-hmm. you know but like I don't don't you want someone like you know a principal ballerina and she said actually no I don't she said I think you've experienced a lot of things and, and you write in a very like frank and straightforward way and an honest way and I think that's what we need is that kind of a voice. And I was like, oh, can I call you back? So <laughs> I like thought about it for a couple of days because I was like, what, you know? And then called my mother and she said, are you crazy? Of course you want to do this, you have to do this. So um, I said, yes. And then that's how I kind of got um, kind of regularly. I, so I was still dancing, um, but I had this regular writing gig, if you will. And I started getting more and more from other dance publications. And um, they're all owned by the same people. So it was, people knew each other and they'd say, oh, why don't you hire Amy? She's, you know, she knows a lot of people. She's um, really in the dance world and living it. So, um, and so I just started, uh, it, it was a great way because when you when you freelance, you know, I'd be dancing with Suzanne. I'd be freelancing in New York city. You have to, you, you can't always um, support yourself on your dancing alone. It's very mm-hmm. financially challenging. Um, so you know I would be teaching um, here and there and I would uh, be working you know weighing tables which was hor- I just hated um, things like that. and then I was like, well this is a way to kind of support myself while dancing while also building my next mm-hmm. step. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. a dead end job, like answering phones. It was something that I was learning from and growing and could take in, in a forward direction after my dance career. So I just started taking any, any assignment they sent me. I mean, I wrote for, I wrote for a retailer magazine, like a dance retailer magazine. And that was probably the best learning experience ever because they would be, say, we want you to write like a 1200 word article on tights. Uh, okay. Like, t- trends in tights. And I would be like, what is there to say? <laughs> yeah. right. But I'd have to kind of create like a really long article. I'd have to interview a million different dance manufacturers and get excited about tights and kind of break it down and talk about, you know, and think about Well, who's reading this? Someone who owns a dancewear store. And this is important for them to know. And they, they want to know what's new and trendy. And so um, it was a great learning experience, honestly. Um, so that's kind of how that all started. And then when my dance career started wrapping up, um, an editorial position opened at Dance Teacher Magazine and they invited me to to join the team. So I worked for Dance Teacher for a little while um, and then moved over to Dance Magazine and Point. And I was kind of working at both magazines simultaneously. It was no longer dancing, so I could fully focus on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, I, gosh, I started... My editorial career, we'll say, in November 2013, I think I, or December, I think I retired from Susanna. My last performance with her took the train to New York, had a day off, and then started the very next day. It was very, no wow. break. And wow. yeah, and then worked at Dance Teacher. So I started in like November or December, I can't remember exactly. And then in July, they needed a new editor in chief at point magazine and they asked me to do it. So I really wasn't there very long (laughs) before I was asked to take the helm of point magazine. And that's, so that's kind of how it all happened.
1: That's fantastic. I, we really enjoy reading your Ask Amy -hmm. column. Like you, you always have great topics. We were just, we were actually just looking recently at the one about um, does my friend's success, you know, why does my friend's mm. success feel like my failure? Um, but you always come up with great, great topics to yeah. write about.
2: Thank you. I, I appreciate that very much. I, I often am concerned that I'm not really offering much, but uh, I appreciate, I appreciate that. I'd, I like the more sort of psychological questions I feel like I'm a little better at answering um, just because I lived a lot of those experiences. So,
1: Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the article on tights was riveting, but um, I think the (laughs) the psychological things are a lot of the things that dancers struggle with um, Mm -hmm. and can't find, you know, a good, you know, if you if you don't have a teacher that you can talk to or Mm -hmm. it's just good to read about other people's experiences, I suppose, hear about other people's experiences.
2: Yeah. And to know you're not alone and a lot of other people are feeling these things and um, it is kind of tricky cause sometimes, sometimes I'm like, I'm not really the appropriate person you should be asking about this. You should be talking to your teacher, sure. but um, <laughs> maybe, you know, they don't feel comfortable with their teacher, I don't know. So it's mm-hmm. maybe you know, try to
1: or maybe, or maybe what you tell them gives them a starting place to go back and talk to their teacher.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Possible. Um, Anyway, could you speak a little bit about teaching you kind of you indicated your you were talking about your freelance work and how you were Mm -hmm. doing classes, I guess I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about your teaching experience, um, where all you have taught if there was a specific age dancer that you taught. Sure.
2: Um, Well, I. Mainly taught at my old studio back home, Dance Center North. When I, especially when I was living in Milwaukee, it was very easy for me to go back and and uh, teach a master class. I'd often teach there in the summertime, um, you know, because in a ballet company you're often off in, in the summer, um, your season. Right. Is usually, mm-hmm. you know, and so um, and then I also taught for some other schools. Uh, there's a school called McDonald Dance Academy in in Arlington Heights, Illinois, I taught th- I taught a uh, summer there, um, I've and uh, beyond that, once I moved to New York, I started doing a lot of guest teaching and substitute yes. teaching, it was very hard for me to get a full-time teaching job because I traveled so much for dance, and I'd be, you know, it was hard to say, I'm going to take the next eight weeks, right, um, Find a sub, you know. It's like that's not a good way. So um, I often would do a lot of like master classes or summer teaching. There's a school out in Utah called Westside School of Ballet that I um, that I in Saint George, Utah. I, I taught some summers there, um, and I've also uh, done a lot of substitute teaching at Manhattan Youth Ballet in the city, um, and many other schools. It's just you know mainly um guest teaching as opposed to being at one school for an entire year so that's sort of my teaching experience so my i would say my favorite group to like age group to teach is sort of that 12 13 14 year old
1: mm-hmm.
2: age group um i find that they are just really focused and obsessed with ballet and want to learn as much as they can, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and th- th- they just seem to be a very focused, like age. It seems to be a very focused age group, and I, I really enjoy teaching for kids that age. Um, and also, you know, advanced students and the young, the younger. I don't have as much teach experience teaching younger students. Really teaching students under the age of like eleven. So I. I'm less like experienced dealing with students of that age. Um, I'm mostly used to like junior high school and high school mm-hmm. students, middle school age, that type of thing.
1: I, I can see that with age 10 to 14, you know, that cause that would be the age where they would really start Point. to become more dedicated. It's very mm-hmm. exciting. A lot would, you know, pre-point work. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, they're just soaking everything in
2: mm-hmm. and they
1: don't yet have the distraction of, uh, you know, the, the, Oh, are they going to keep me next year? You know, that kind right. of, you know, the, the six week summer intensive audition, they don't yet quite have that.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's... That
1: level of pressure on them. So I could see that, that would be a very yeah. uh, rewarding age group to teach. Um, do you have any non-technical advice for your
0: students?
2: Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> I remember my teacher telling me, she was sort of exasperated with her class once, and she said, you know, I can only give you so much. It's up to you to do something with what I'm saying. That's your responsibility. You know, it's like, I can't mm-hmm. I can, like, I do my part, but then you have to take it and apply it. And I don't, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying I don't see kids applying for I, 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 most of the kids I've worked with have been wonderful in that regard, but I, for whatever reason, it was like a mind blowing <laughs> <revelation laughs> when I was like 12 or 13 that like, I'm not going to do this for you. You have to like do it yourself.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, so that's one thing. <laughs> but also, just to not take corrections personally. Like I know for myself when I'm like, m- and for the majority of teachers out there, like we earnestly are trying to help. You know, and and sometimes it may not be couched in perfect language, where you know, or something like. Um. You know, when someone says is, is offering you corrections, because they they know and think you can improve on what you've already done. And um, it's very important that teachers encourage their students, of course. But sometimes I see like I'll I'll offer correction and I see a student kind of take it as a defeat. And that's absolutely not, you know, my in, in you know, intention or anything that they're, like that there's value and effort. That it doesn't have to be, uh, your pirouette doesn't have to be perfect, but there are ways to make, you know, to build on it and to, to, um, to make it better. And I think, I think in ballet, especially students um, don't value the effort they put into things as much as the result. And I think that is something I would love students to understand and to, to, um, And to think more about like, hey, like, okay, I didn't, maybe I didn't nail my pirouette this time, but she gave me something to think about. And I felt a little change. And maybe, you know, three weeks from now, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: it will all come together. So I guess that would be, I don't know if that's very coherent, but that would be kind of my advice is that there's a lot of value in the effort you put in. And that's important to acknowledge as a student that you've, you know, worked hard at something.
0: Yeah, I think corrections is a tricky thing. Like, as a student, there's a fine line between getting so many corrections and then not getting any, because Mm -hmm. if you don't get any, then I think, like, oh, well, like, is it that I'm, like, just doing fine, or is it that they don't think that I'm worth correcting, and then if I'm getting Mm -hmm. so many, then it's, like, oh, well, I just like now my self-esteem is just so low. Like now I just have this huge list of things to work on that maybe I knew before, but just like hearing it one after the other, sometimes it's really overwhelming. So I think that's a good point because corrections is really a tricky thing. And then also Mm -hmm. I agree with you, if the teacher sees that you're applying the correction or thinking about it or yeah, even if it's not perfect and they just see that you're, contemplating it, then that sometimes is even more important than getting it perfectly the first time.
2: Exactly. And as, as, as a teacher, I know, like I get really excited if I see, if I offer, you know, a correction or a tip or, or just say, Hey, you try this. Um, and I see, you know, regardless of whether the step that they do is perfect or not, when I see them trying, that is to me more valuable than whether it's perfect, you know, Mm -hmm. as a teacher. So, um, and then to, and then just to see those small little building blocks, like those small improvements, um, you know, I remember working with a student one summer long time ago and, you know, she, uh, dance wasn't really her, her forte that's, you know, like she was struggling. Mm-hmm. She was sort of at the bottom of the class and and um, she wasn't very coordinated and, and um, you know, didn't have very good, she had very limited turnout and everything. But um, I saw her, it was something, it was like Ronda Jamon Lair. And, you know, at the beginning of the summer, you know, there were there were a lot of things that needed to be, she needed to work on. And like, you know, within by week like four, I'd seen like just this, it was a tiny improvement, but just to see that she had like absorbed it and taken it and and it had brought her, you know, it was so exciting for me, um, you know, and she was a, someone who I knew would she would never, she would probably not dance very much longer, you know, like it just, you could just tell it wasn't really her. She probably didn't like it very much. And and um, she probably wasn't going to, to continue dancing, but just to see that she had, um, she had taken something and worked it and had uh improved it was really exciting
1: that that has to feel very gratifying um as the teacher mm-hmm. seeing seeing what uh correction you've given and seeing it be applied. What hobbies do you have outside of ballet?
2: I read a lot. <laughs> I read a ton. I read like the first thing I do when I wake up is I read something I you know I, I spend my whole day reading for work so sometimes I... I'm a little burned out but um I read a lot um I'm starting to get into some gardening <laughs> I enjoy that a lot um I you know and I do Pilates on the weekends it's um I guess I, I don't have a ton of hobbies I guess reading is my biggest one I like you sketching okay? still.
1: Do, Do you me- have a favorite book or what's the last book you read?
2: Um, well, the book I'm reading right now, actually, Olivia, I highly recommend it for you. It's called, okay. Be- it's called Being a Ballerina by Gavin Larson. Um, it is a memoir. She, Gavin Larson was a principal dancer at Oregon Ballet Theater and... Uh, she's one of our writers at Point. She's one of our most frequent you know, contributors. But she wrote a memoir about her life as a student and a professional dancer. And it's just really wonderful. And um, I, I really, really relate to it a lot. So that might be something you would enjoy. Um, I'm also reading a book called Evicted, which is a nonfiction book um, about sort of the... Um, the system in, in it, it takes place in Milwaukee as journalists spent a couple of like a couple of years in Milwaukee, but just sort of um, how low income housing is, you know, and, and the uh, it's hard for me to explain, but just like how corrupt it is and how you know the poor are kind of kept in these terrible po- uh, positions nice. and, and everything like that. And, um, I also, as far as like my favorite fiction book I love uh, *Love in the Time of Cholera* by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, huh. and and I love *Angel's Ashes* by Frank McCourt. Um, <laughs> and then, like, I also love uh, *Truman Capote's* *In Cold Blood*, which is a nonfiction, like, true crime huh. novel. Um, but just as a writer, I really enjoy those books. Like, so
0: we'll have to check them out. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, if you could talk to your younger self, what advice would you give?
2: Hmm. Get out of your head. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be so, you know, worried about everything. But mostly um, I would tell myself to not be so afraid to take more initiative. I think I could have taken a lot more initiative in my career. Um, And I, you know, wish I had. So, you know, to not be afraid to to ask for what you want, to make that follow-up phone call to the company you auditioned for that you were interested in, to um, introduce yourself to a director, things like that. I just feel like I was a little shy and timid at at times, and Mm -hmm. um, I wish I hadn't. If I could improve on that, I would.
0: Okay, well, that's really good advice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I would build these situations up in my head to be really um, scary. And they, they aren't, you know, they're it's not now that I'm like, on the other side, I'm like, it's not that big a deal to just, you know, so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just take more initiative.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This was really fun.
1: Yeah, thank you. It was lovely to speak with you. And thanks for all of your great advice. Mm -hmm. And we're so glad that you're coming to
0: teach for the first week of PYB Summer Intensive. So we'll see you
2: then. Thanks, I'm very excited to meet you all.
1: We're so glad you could join us today backstage at PYB. Please follow our podcast so that you never miss an episode. If you'd like more information on
0: PYB, check out our website at bglv.org or friend us on Facebook at Ballet Guild of the Lehigh Valley slash Pennsylvania Youth Ballet or follow us on Instagram at PYB underscore BGLV. If you have any questions, please email them to karen.ner at bglv.org and you might be featured on the show. We'll, we'll see you next time. time.